Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bryn. And fun fact, I really need to order myself a new pair of glasses. I've probably been without glasses for at least half a year now, and I'm blind as a bat. I currently just saw my suitcase in the hallway, like a duffel bag suitcase, and I thought it was my dog lying upstairs, because that's how bad my vision is. And Timo has been making fun of me for the last two days because he saw my temporary trick that I use for Netflix at night. It's really hard for me to see the descriptions and sometimes even the titles of the shows on screen from the show. So I use my phone camera and zoom in (laughs) to see the titles and the descriptions of the episodes So yeah, I think I need to order myself a new pair of glasses. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because that literally just happened with the duffel bag in the hallway. But moving on into some show recommendations for this week or what I am watching currently. Again, I am watching The Blacklist. As I've mentioned before, I'm probably going to be watching this until I finish it and catch up on all episodes. Aside from that, I am into a Harry Potter kick this week because it is my current mission to get Timo invested in Harry Potter. Maybe not as invested as I've always been since I was like seven, eight years old, but my goal is to have him finally finish all the Harry Potter movies. So we watched Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban the other night, and he actually said it was pretty good, which is a big win in my book. And listening-wise, I've recently been listening to the podcast The Vanished, which is a wandering podcast. And I was into that for a while and then for some reason completely forgot about it and have been binging the episodes to catch up. That has been my podcast of the week that I've been listening to. If anyone has not listened to it, make sure to check it out. And aside from that, I think I will dive into our coffee review for this week. For this episode, do not be disappointed with me, please. I have another coffee recipe coming your way, and my reasoning for this this week is because I am not feeling well today, pregnancy-wise. I'm a little bit nauseous, and I just cannot handle the coffee today. My stomach has been very off, so sadly, I cannot drink even a sip of coffee today to give you an accurate review. So that is why I'm doing a coffee recipe for you today. I dove into some summer recipes and I found a really good one and it's different from anything that we have done in the past. It is a coffee smoothie recipe and these pictures look incredible. It seems easy as hell to make And I am definitely giving this one a try next week. I am not even joking. I'm going out and making sure I have every single ingredient, which isn't too crazy. So the coffee smoothie ingredients include coffee ice cubes, which you need to make the night before. You need a frozen banana. And it says if you want your smoothie thicker, you can always add more frozen bananas. You want dates, and instead of dates, you could also use honey, maple syrup, or any other sweetener of your choice. And then it says if you want to be vegan to use the dates or the maple syrup. Creamy almond butter, and you can use peanut butter or any nut butter, they said, in place of the almond butter. 
almond milk or any dairy-free milk can be used because perks of this recipe is that it is also a dairy-free coffee recipe. Vanilla extract, and it said that it adds a bit of sweetness and rounds out the flavor, and you can add optional protein powder or collagen, and then any other optional add-ins would include Greek yogurt, oats, chia seeds, hemp seeds, espresso powder, or even ice cream, it says. And then you can add an optional topping like whipped coconut cream, shaved chocolate, whipped cream. You can add cocoa powder. Then simply it says to make this recipe, make sure to have your ingredients prepped. This includes the coffee from the night before, the frozen coffee ice cubes. All you need to do is combine all those ingredients and blend on high. Pour it into a glass and add your dairy-free whipped topping or full of dairy whipped topping and you can also top it with shaved chocolate and that's that. It's simple. It looks amazing. The website that it is located on which I will provide in the resources is thewoodenskillet.com and this person who posted this recipe raves about it and says it's basically the best frozen coffee recipe. So we shall see and if any listeners give it a try, maybe you want to wait till summertime when the weather is hot to try this one. Maybe you like iced coffee year-round like me and we'll give a frozen coffee a go anytime. Let me know what you think. So recommendations, check. Coffee review, check. And meaningless banter in the beginning of the episode, check. I think we're ready to get into today's episode. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Haven't done one of these in a while. Today's episode is going to be about urban legends. And I think Kelsey and I have only ever done three urban legends episodes. The rest have all been haunted places. So I tried to dive into ones that either I've never dove deep into before or that I've never heard of before. So we shall see what you all think. Today I have two urban legends for you. And I am going to start off with the urban legend of Mercy Brown. A little bit of background. This legend takes place in the year of 1892 in the town of Exeter, Rhode Island. During this time, quote, tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in the United States. Then known as consumption, its symptoms included fatigue, night sweats, and the coughing up of white phlegm or even foamy blood. And that was a quote from allthatsinteresting.com. At the time, there was no cure for this infectious disease. And if you had active tuberculosis, which is the TB germs that are alive and contagious, there was an 80% chance of dying. Doctors' advice towards helping the disease during this time would basically just be to rest, get fresh air, sunlight, eat right, exercise outdoors, and some quote-unquote cures even went as far as saying to drink brown sugar dissolved in water or to go horseback riding frequently. Before we get into the events of 1892, I'm going to backtrack a bit to fill in some history of the main family at play. This was the Brown family, which included George, who was the father, Mary Eliza, who was the mother, Mary Olive, Edwin Atwood, 
Annie Laura, who her married name was actually Taylor, so Annie Laura Brown, married name Taylor, Hattie Mabel, Harriet May, Jenny A., Myra Francis, and the main sister of the story, Mercy Lena Brown. Mercy was born August 2, 1872, in Rhode Island, and her family called her by her middle name, Lena. That was her nickname regarding her family, but throughout this story, I will be referring to her as Mercy Lena or Mercy because her legend is known as Mercy Brown. So there are some contradicting reports in this portion of the episode. As mentioned in past episodes, this could be due to the time period, how long ago it was, information lost in translation, so on. So some articles say in 1883, others 1884, and Smithsonian Magazine stating December 1882, Mary Eliza, who again was the matriarch of the Brown family, died from tuberculosis. It's important to note that most information stated 1883 as the year in which she died, though. Contradictions again. One article stated two years after Mary Eliza's death in 1884, so that would be in 1886, that the eldest daughter, Mary Olive, who was then 20, died from tuberculosis. Others stated her death as being in 1884, which would be a year after the death of her mother in 1883. Again, most resources stated 1884 as being the correct year of death for Mary Olive. So Smithsonian Magazine also had said that she passed one year after her mother. Either way, her death followed her mother's about a year or two after. In 1891, the only son in the family, Edwin Atwood Brown, fell ill with TB. Following this, he left Rhode Island and went to Colorado Springs. If you remember from the Haunted Places episode where I covered the Stanley Hotel located in Colorado, Freeland Oscar Stanley had built that hotel partially as a health retreat for pulmonary tuberculosis. Due to the mountain climate and fresh air, Colorado Springs was a sought-after place for TB treatment, hence Edwin retreating there. In 1892, Edwin did return to Exeter. However, his condition was worse than when he left. Sadly, while he was gone, another sibling of his also passed from the plague that was taking the lives of his family members. January 17, 1892, Mercy Lena Brown had died of TB. She was 19 years old at this time, and this is a quote from Smithsonian Magazine, quote, Her tuberculosis was the quote-unquote galloping kind, which meant that she might have been infected but remained asymptomatic for years, only to fade fast after showing the first signs of the disease. She was buried in Chestnut Hill Cemetery in Exeter. With the death of Mercy Brown came rumors and folktale. An old folktale began circulating among the townspeople of Exeter and eventually made its way to the head of the Brown household, George Brown. This is a quote from allthatsinteresting.com, quote, By some unexplained and unreasonable way, in some part of the deceased relative's body, live flesh and blood might be found, which is supposed to feed on the living who are in feeble health. In summary, townspeople believed that one of George's deceased family members could actually be taking the lives of others, 
not that TB was just running rampant and incurable at the time. Due to this fear, March 1892, the three bodies of the Brown family that had died from TB were exhumed by townspeople and a doctor. George was not present for the exhumation of his family members. Harold Metcalf, MD of Wickford, completed an examination of the bodies. When exhumed, Mary Eliza, who again was the mother, and Mary Olive, who was the eldest daughter, their bodies were found skeletonized. Remember, by then, it had been almost 10 years since they passed. However, Mercy, on the other hand, had only died two months before. The doctor observed that her remains looked, quote, normal and undecayed. Clotted and decomposed blood was also noted to be found in Mercy's heart and liver. Even though the doctor tried to explain that this could happen, and that he'd seen it before, especially since Mercy had been buried in the frozen Rhode Island grounds of January, basically preserving her body, people took this information as something else. So this is when the legend really took off. Something important to note, as TB and the passing of bacteria wasn't fully understood by all people of this period, there was a mass spreading of theories, legends, and bacteria during this time. Taking place in the New England area in specific was a hysteria that was known as the New England Vampire Panic. As quoted from Wiki, quote, the New England Vampire Panic was the reaction to an outbreak of tuberculosis in the 19th century throughout Rhode Island, eastern Connecticut, southern Massachusetts, Vermont, and other areas of the New England states. Consumption, and or tuberculosis, was thought to be caused by the deceased consuming the life of their surviving relatives. Bodies were exhumed and internal organs ritually burned to stop the quote-unquote vampire from attacking the local population and to prevent the spread of the disease. I had also read and heard in other articles and or videos that some of the bodies of these quote-unquote vampires were destroyed in other ways, such as being stabbed with a stake, beheaded, disemboweled, or flipped over to lay face down in their grave, which, when you really think about it, was probably spreading the disease even more. Because if you're driving a stake into a recently deceased body that potentially still has blood in it, especially if you're thinking it's a vampire and using the possibility of blood in the body as them being a vampire, when you are stabbing a stake into this body, I'm sure you are getting some kind of bodily fluid on you. If you're touching this body that maybe hasn't been deceased for very long and carried TB, you might be getting the disease on you. I feel like this was probably even more of a way of TB spreading during that time and they were completely unaware of it. So in regards to Mercy, her body being found with blood still in it and undecayed fueled the townspeople's belief that she was a vampire and the one causing death amongst her family members, as well as other TB-related deaths happening in town. Specifically Edwin, who, as mentioned, was worsening and heading towards death, 
due to the blood found, the unrelenting words of the townspeople, and the fear of Edwin dying, George began to comply with his neighbors when it came to the vampire legend. So remember, George was the father of the Brown family. Some articles state that he actually began to believe it, while others, including the Smithsonian and the Providence Journal, stressed that he didn't actually believe it, but wanted to pacify their concerns and also show that he wasn't just sitting by while his son died. In reaction to this, Mercy's heart and liver were burned by locals on a nearby rock. Apparently, George wasn't even in attendance during this. The rest of her body was reburied. The ashes of her heart and liver were mixed with water and given to Edwin to consume. And he died two months later. So even though he already did have TB and was clearly in the process of dying, I wonder if consuming the ashes of someone who died from TB was a contribution to speeding up that process or not, or if that really just wouldn't have made a difference at all. So into the aftermath, Mercy Lena Brown became known as the quote-unquote last New England vampire. Her story was printed in newspapers and became a well-known legend around the world. Some even see influence of Mercy Lena in the character of Lucy in Dracula, which was published in 1897, and whether or not this is actually true is up for speculation. However, Mercy's exhumation was referenced in the short story The Shunned House by H.P. Lovecraft. People still frequently visit her grave, and some even leave gifts at her gravesite. This may include jewelry, cough drops, flowers, a butterfly charm, and even plastic vampire teeth. Aside from legend of being a vampire, Mercy has been said to haunt a nearby bridge. Legend says that she presents herself, quote-unquote, as the smell of roses. People also say that they've heard her voice in the cemetery in which she's buried, and her spirit is also said to visit and comfort the terminally ill, which I think is so sweet and I hope is true because that's so comforting that she would be reassuring someone who is about to pass or who is living with a disease that's incurable that it's okay to go to the other side and that she's living a beautiful life on the other side. I just think that's wonderful, but who knows if that's true or not, and that is it. That was the story of Mercy Brown. So let me know if you've heard that urban legend before, what you think about the speculation that vampires existed back then, and I will get into the next urban legend. So for the second urban legend of this episode, I'm giving you a little warning to put on your adult diapers or squeamish suits for this one because if you're anything like me, it's going to make your skin crawl a little bit. This urban legend is called the elevator game or elevator to another world. This urban legend is thought to have originated in Korea or Japan, and exactly when it started is unknown, but there's posts talking about it dating to 2011. Quoted from an article from ScaryMommy.com, which was last updated in 2021, quote, 
According to the latest search data available, the elevator game is searched for 33,100 times a month. To be honest, for some reason, this quote-unquote game scares the absolute shit out of me, and I second-guessed even including this as an urban legend in this episode. Speaking about it freaks me the hell out, but here we go. Legend says if you play the elevator game, the following things can happen. If you get off on the 10th floor, you could potentially enter another world. And a woman might enter the elevator, which could come with some dire consequences. And I'll get into that later. So jumping into the rules of this game, I highly recommend you don't play, but this is the way the legend goes. Here are the rules and guidelines according to multiple sites. Some vary, but I'll try to include any altering variations. For the most part, it's going to be pretty verbatim since the rules are basic. So in order to play this game, you need yourself. Most state that the game is to be played with one player. However, some articles do state that this can be played with multiple people. In this situation, if anyone backs out mid-ride, you have to start the entire process from the beginning. You also must have at least a 10-story building, and there obviously must be an elevator as well. First step is getting in the elevator by yourself or with the people you're playing the game with, but no one else is allowed to be in the elevator with you. If anyone else does enter the elevator while trying to complete this quote-unquote game, you must start the whole thing over again. You are not to get out on any of the floors until told to do so. Once in the elevator, go to the fourth floor. So that's the first step. Then go down to the second. Go back up to the sixth. Go back down to the second. Go up to the tenth floor and descend to the fifth. So you're going fourth, second, sixth, second, tenth, fifth. Legend says that it's usually around this fifth floor that people say a young woman may enter. You are not to interact with her whatsoever or even look at her. Some people have said that this woman presented herself as someone they know, which is creepy as fuck, and this woman is not actually human. She might try to talk to you, ask for help, or even antagonize you. The rules say, do not respond. If you have any kind of interaction with her, legend says that there are consequences, one of which might include not being able to get back to reality. Instead, you are to press the button for the first floor, and here is where two things might happen next. One, if the elevator goes to the first floor, you're supposed to exit immediately. If this happens when you leave, do not speak and leave without looking behind you. AKA, especially if the woman is there, do not speak to her, do not make eye contact, do not look back. Number two, in the other scenario, the elevator goes up. So instead of going to the first floor, it goes up. This would mean you have been allowed access to the quote-unquote other world. 
You can choose whether to exit the elevator and enter the quote-unquote other world or not. If you decide not to exit, you are to press the first floor button and exit once you're on the first floor. Some have said that they have to press this multiple times for it to work. And if you decide to exit, the woman might try to stop you or question you. You should continue to ignore her. Upon exiting, there have been strange things said about what's on the other side of this quote-unquote other world. Things might seem or look slightly different from the real world. The power could be out. No one else is there aside from those who just stepped off the elevator. And some people have also said that they looked out a window and the only thing they saw was a red cross in the distance. If you chose to get off the elevator, there are then rules to get back to the quote-unquote real world. You have to use the same elevator you came in. That's very important. Repeat all the previous steps up to the descending to the fifth floor. So get on the elevator, go to the fourth, go to the second, go to the sixth, go back to the second, go to the tenth, then go to the fifth. Once you're at the fifth, again, press the button for the first floor. This legend then says that the elevator might try to go back to the 10th floor. If this happens, you are to press any other floor numbers to keep the elevator from getting to the 10th floor. And I read one article where someone was even like, smack the emergency button if you if you need to then press the first floor button again here's when things get even creepier apparently before you get off the elevator on the first floor you should check that everything looks normal the slightest details can be off and if anything is off the legend says do not get off the elevator Until everything seems normal and quote-unquote real-world-like, the steps are to be repeated. Only then can you get off the elevator on the first floor. So remember, that's the return process. You're doing the whole thing again. By the time you get to the first floor, if something looks off, repeat the process and make sure if you press the first floor button and it tries to take you back up to 10, You hit any button you can to make that elevator stop. I'm talking as if this legend is real, and it's probably not, but it really freaks me the hell out, like I said. So here's me speaking like this is real. It's fine. More creepy facts regarding the game. Electronics might malfunction. There has known to be disorientation with the people that have played, or so the legend goes. Many articles regarding this urban legend say to stay focused because you don't want to get confused with which elevator you arrived on. Here's a quote from scarymommy.com, quote, if you pass out or faint, you might wake up at home, but make sure you're really at home. It could be the spirit world in disguise. What the heck? My heart is palpitating. I'm not even kidding. So in regards to this elevator game, I do have a couple quote-unquote first-hand accounts 
that I'm going to read for you and bear with me because they are a little bit long, but I feel like I needed to read them verbatim to get the writer's point across. And if you go on Reddit, you can find so many of these with people who have tried it, but these ones stood out. The first one is from Reddit account ripped underscore geek and is linked in the scary mommy article listed in my resources so i am going to read this verbatim this is titled do not play the elevator game words of a big time skeptic this is a really fucked up experience that i recently had which completely vanquished my skepticism regarding the paranormal so i came to know about this weird urban legend known as the elevator ritual The quote-unquote other world sounded really intriguing and I decided to go ahead with the ritual one fateful Saturday evening. I live on a flat on the 11th floor of a building, so despite popular advice, I decided to perform the ritual in my own building using the elevator I use daily. Oh, bad idea, dude. I walked out of my apartment with a steely resolve and reached the elevator. Something in my mind advised me against what I was about to do but my skepticism got the better of me and down I went to the first floor in order to begin with the ritual. As I heard the ping of the elevator, as I reached the first floor, I went on with the 4-2-6-2-10-5-1 routine. Not a damn thing happened, although my heart was in my mouth out of anxiety and anticipation. There was no woman on the fifth floor and the elevator didn't ascend to the 10th floor as soon as I pressed the button for the first floor. This was a huge ego boost for my skeptic self. I returned to my flat using the same elevator, feeling victorious. However, as the night went on, I just couldn't sleep. I usually have such a hectic day, I am sound asleep by 11.30pm at max, but something was really off about that night. I twisted and turned on my bed the whole night and woke up exhausted and covered in sweat. After my chores, since it was a Sunday, I went out to get some groceries. To my surprise, the damn elevator was out of order. I immediately made the mental connection of the damaged elevator to my performance of the ritual. I got very intrigued. I took the stairs, went out got the groceries, and had a pretty normal Sunday. By 10 p.m., I was all ready to sleep when I heard a loud and shrill cry outside my door, which was strange as the only other people on my floor were out on vacation. I went out to inspect the noise, and I saw wet footsteps with a slight maroon tint to them, kind of like mud but slightly redder, like somebody had a slight cut on their feet after walking in some muddy terrain. I followed the footsteps out of my stupid curiosity, and to my utter shock, they led to the elevator, which surprisingly was no longer out of order. Something in my mind compelled me to get into the elevator, go to the ground floor, and check out with security guard, who had signed in to visit the 11th floor. And down I went. 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, ping. The elevator doors open slower than they usually do, as if unveiling something grand on the fifth floor instead of the lobby I was intending to go to. 
oh my gosh, I have the freaking chills. A woman with dark hair wearing a black tattered evening gown entered the elevator. Something inside me clicked immediately and I wished I could run out of the elevator. However, something in me froze, disabling me from moving. My gaze fixed at her feet and I understood the source of those footsteps. Worn and torn skin dangled from her feet as if she was rotting from the inside out. And the smell... Nothing can even be close to it. It was like a bunch of rotting corpses shoved into one person. As I looked up at her, she had a grin on her face. Why did you look at her? Oh my god. That evil, sinister, spine-chilling grin which washed away my skepticism forever. Oh my gosh, if this is real, (laughs) this can't be real. If it's real, okay. Continuing on with the story. At that point, I knew the only way I was getting out of the elevator alive was by completing the damn ritual. I pressed the button for the first floor and the elevator began ascending upwards. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ping. As much as I wished to get to the bottom floor and run out for dear life, I had this primal compulsion to run out as soon as the doors opened. I now understood why people get off the elevator on the 10th floor despite it being so risky. You just want to get away from the woman. As I ran out, her voice was in my mind. Where are you going, Sammy? Scared shitless, I ran only to discover my utter solitude in the quote-unquote other world. It was like the hallway was endless. I couldn't get away from the elevator no matter how far I ran. I was stuck in some sort of loop. I briefly caught the sky outside through the corner of my eye and saw the reddish sky which I used to treat as fictional crap upon listening to others' experiences. There was even the fabled burning cross in the sky. As soon as I saw it, I couldn't move away my gaze as if in a trance. The cross was laden with limbs and body parts which seemed to have been ripped off bodies. This is, oh my gosh, this is so disturbing. I summoned all my will looked away, and pressed the button to summon the elevator. To my surprise and contrary to what I had read otherwise, the elevator opened up instantly. I got inside and reverse performed the ritual without any interference, surprisingly. Down I went to the first floor and canceled the ascension on time. I rushed out, traumatized, scared, and scarred. I took the stairs to the 11th floor, to my apartment, and crashed senseless on my bed. As soon as my eyes were shut, I was back in the quote-unquote other world. This time, my run was accompanied by her chase and followed by a sudden wake-up. I went through my day as bravely as I could, fearing the inevitable night and the sleep it contained. I tried to stay awake as late as I possibly could, but I don't know when I was back there again. This time she was dead ahead of me. I had no way of escaping. Her long, torn-out finger touched my abdomen. I was completely frozen. It was like a proper sleep paralysis. I really hope this was a really horrible nightmare. Her finger went through my skin and into my body. Either that or he got severely possessed by whatever this thing was. Okay, I will stop interrupting. I'm sorry. I'm. This is so creepy to me. I felt a jolt of pain around my abdomen and woke up with a snarl. 
I was burning up. I had a dark red mark on my abdomen. Scarred to the marrow, I went to the ER. Internal bleeding it was. That's when I knew I had to seek help. I went through some cleansing rituals on the internet. Lying in the ER bed, the pain meds were kicking in. My lightheadedness came with a feeling of despair as I knew. I wouldn't wake up from another sleep. I dragged my body to the chapel in the hospital. I prayed to God for the first time in my entire 25 years of life, just to keep me alive for one more night. I don't know when I slept, but the next thing I remember was waking up to the sound of the janitor cleaning up the chapel. I realized I had gone through the night unscathed. I immediately checked out of the hospital, bought some sage, cleansed my entire house, myself and my surrounding premises. It had been a week without any night terrors, however. I constantly felt a presence watching me as I get out of my house and cross the elevator to take the stairs. I know for a fact that I am alive as long as my faith is. Wow, this person is a really good writer. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. This person is a really good writer. I'm just going to convince myself of that, no matter whether this was real or not, because... This is why I said this urban legend creeps me the fuck out. And if anyone else is on the same page, send some DMs my way, comment on the posts that I post, because I don't want to feel so alone in this. I feel like such a baby right now when it comes to this urban legend, but this is horrifying. And on to the next first-hand, quote-unquote, first-hand account. The next one is from Reddit user DarkInferno07, which I will also read verbatim. This one is titled, After reading about the elevator game here, I decided to play it. I first read about the elevator game here on Reddit No Sleep. Essentially, it explained how you get into an elevator, press a sequence of floor buttons, and when you get off, you'd be in the quote-unquote other world. Like a parallel dimension where you'd be the only person, the sky would be crimson, and you'd see a red cross in the distance, like always. To get back to our dimension, you'd have to press the same sequence of buttons. If you mess up, you might end up getting stuck there forever. Sounds interesting, yeah? Oh, and it also had a bit where a lady would enter the elevator on one of the floors while you try to complete the ritual. You are heavily advised not to look at her nor acknowledge her presence or she would, and I quote, quote unquote, take you as one of her own. The fuck's that supposed to mean? Anyway, after reading about the elevator game a few months ago, it suddenly came back to me one day at work. Why? I don't fucking know. One of the rules of the game was that you'd have to do this alone. If you had someone with you or someone interrupted you midway, it wouldn't work. Another prerequisite was that the building you'd pull this little stunt in had to have 10 stories at least. It was a Friday evening at work when this struck me. I didn't have any big plans for the weekend, so I decided I'd drive back to work on Saturday and test it out at my workplace. It'd be better to try this out in familiar territory, and since it'd be a Saturday, I wouldn't have to be worried about people interrupting me. So Saturday morning, I drove back into my office, left my car in the parking lot, and walked up to the building. The lady at the security desk, Sophie, greeted me and was surprised to see me in on a weekend. After some small talk, I asked her if anybody was in today, and she said I was the only one yet. Well, so far so good. 
I got into the elevator, checked my cell phone for the list of the order of the floor buttons that I had to press. While I probably should have mentioned that the last button you press in the whole sequence is the first floor, but if the ritual has worked, your elevator should start ascending to the 10th floor instead. Being a numbskull, I messed up the sequence in my first try. Well, fuck. I pressed the button for the first floor in an attempt to start the ritual again. I got off and Sophie asked me if everything was alright. I lied that I thought I'd forgotten my keys in the car, but just realized I'd actually had them in my pocket. I got into the elevator again and quickly went through the entire sequence and finally pressed the button for the first floor. To my dismay, the elevator did not ascend to the 10th floor, but would start descending as a normal elevator would. No creepy woman had entered on the fifth floor as the game had prophesied either. I got off on the first floor thinking about what I'd say to Sophie for literally getting off on the first floor for the second time in a few minutes. I looked up at the security desk and froze. There was a man sitting there. And when I say sitting there, I mean just sitting there motionless, staring into nothingness blankly. Hello, uh, where's Sophie? I stammered. He slowly turned in my direction and shook his head. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Did she leave? I asked, bile rising up in my throat. He shook his head again. His mouth was open, but no sound came out. I thought I better leave as this was getting creepy. As soon as I stepped out of the building, I froze again. The sky was pitch dark, no stars, no nothing, as though it was midnight. That's not possible. It was literally 11 a.m. a few minutes ago. I checked my cell phone. It had no network service anymore, but the clock showed 11.10 a.m. I hurried over to the parking lot and found that it was empty. My car wasn't there. I was starting to panic. The only possible explanation was that the game had worked. But what I was experiencing wasn't what I had read. The sky wasn't crimson, there was no red cross in the distance, and I sure as hell wasn't alone. That D-bag sitting at the security desk reminded me of that fact. I thought for a few minutes and decided that doing the ritual all over again was probably the only way to set things right. I walked into the building again and froze for the third time. There was a different man sitting behind the security desk. As I looked at him, he turned to me and smiled. And let me tell you, it wasn't no Mona Lisa smile. It was way too long for a normal human smile, and he was missing a lot of teeth. I must have a pretty strong bladder because my pants were still dry. Without looking at him again, I stepped into the same elevator. That's one of the rules of the game as well. I followed the same steps I had before, and right before I could press the button for the first floor... The elevator came to a stop on the fourth floor. The door opened and a man entered. Now, I'm not stupid enough to be told not to do something, but end up doing it anyway. The game clearly said when the woman entered on the fifth floor, I was not to acknowledge her presence. This wasn't the fifth floor, and this didn't seem to be a woman. I looked straight at my own feet. Hello, the man hissed. How are you today? The elevator started to ascend. Fuck, I thought to myself. We should be descending, not going upwards. The elevator stopped at the 10th floor and the man stepped out. I quickly pressed the button for the first floor. 
Have a nice day, he hissed as he was walking away. You too, I said instinctively. Fuck. Fuck me for being polite. The man turned around and started to walk quickly back towards the elevator. I rammed the close the door button really hard and the door shut as soon as he was about to get in. I heard him pound on the door as I started to descend. Praying to every god I could think of, I got off on the first floor. Hey, you're back again, Sophie asked me, a little surprised as I stepped out. I didn't answer for a few seconds, but just stared at her. What? she asked, turning a little pink. Oh, nothing. I really should get home, I said, breathing heavily. And I sprinted out the building, leaving her confused. The sky was bright again, and I could see my car in the distance. I drove straight home and rushed into my room. I checked everything I could find online about this damn game, people's experiences and stories, but I couldn't find anything that was similar to what I'd just been through. I finally gave up. That was the last time I am ever going to try out any of these stupid internet paranormal rituals, and I would advise anyone who reads this against it. Stay strong and stay safe, and use the fucking stairs. They're good for you. Holy cow, another creepy one. Again, I'm just going to say these people are really good writers <laughs> because I don't want to believe that that happened and then that's real because if it is, that is the creepiest freaking thing I've ever heard. And like I said, I am never even considering playing this game. I'm already reconsidering recording this as an urban legend episode on the podcast because this story has always sat with me, terrified me. I didn't even know about it in this much detail. I only knew the gist of it, especially since this urban legend had been a speculation within the Elisa Lamb case. And the whole thing is just a terrifying thought when it comes to urban legends and hopefully yes it is just a legend so please i advise you not to play the game this story was just to listen to for your listening pleasure and i don't know about you but i think i'm good on this one and because of that i'm going to jump straight into the spiel so you can find crime cults and coffee on instagram where i post pics of coffee reviewed I put pictures along with the episodes each week. We have the highlights, so if you want to look back on past episodes, past coffee reviews, that's there for you. The link tree in the Crime Cults and Coffee bio also has some of the listening platforms that the podcast is on. Facebook, you can follow at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action involved in the episode for that week. And please, if you have any listener stories, case suggestions, I've gotten a few as of last week with the case suggestions, but listener stories, still nada. Email me at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or DM me at crimecoltsandcoffee on Instagram. As I mentioned in every episode, I really appreciate when you guys reach out. I love interacting with everyone and I love incorporating your listener stories or your case suggestions into the episode. And as in today's episode, those suggestions can also include urban legends and haunted places as well. 
if you like the podcast, you can show me you do by leaving a rate and review on any listening platform that will let you, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and if you can't do so or don't want to do so, which I hope isn't the case, you can, on any listening platform of your choice, like, follow, subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you're able to sleep if you're listening to it right before Betty Bye. And if you're listening to it on your drive into work, I hope you're not hyper-focusing on it all day like I would be and or you don't go home and have insomnia the whole night from it because especially in regards to the freaking elevator game, I'm done with it, and sadly, I'm recording this right before I'm going to go to bed, so I wonder what my dreams are going to be like tonight, or if I'm even going to have any, because I might not be able to sleep, and I'll leave it at that, and until next week, bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook